0: The Oracle Oracle Network. 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 Look deeper. We have an active shooter. We have an active shooter inside
1: the warehouse. Welcome to Active Shooter, a podcast that covers the whys, the hows, and the aftermath of active shooter and mass casualty events.
0: since they uh, are being attacked. I'm in shock. One, six, nine, ten, means we got shots fired. 415A at the Route 91. Sounded like an automatic firearm.
2: Active shooter. Reports of an active shooter. active shooter. Active
3: shooter. Active shooter. Mass casualty incidents
1: Thank you for listening.
2: You are listening to Active Shooter, a podcast that may contain adult themes, explicit language, and graphic depictions of violence. Portions of this show may be traumatic for those under 18. Listener discretion is advised.
3: Breaking news, you might say heartbreaking news, a heartbreaking day in Florida, and sadly, an all too familiar one. 17 people are now confirmed dead. We know at least three people still in critical condition. After police say that a shooter, believed to be just 19 years old, opened fire at his former high school. Over and over again this year, we have seen, heard, and reported on sad and harrowing scenes like this one. How many depends on how you define a school shooting. This is the fourth shooting at a middle or high school just this year, in 2018. You see chaos, terrified students, their hands on their heads, running to safety, Frightened parents rushing to the school, waiting for word on their children. Are they dead or alive? And watching heavily armed SWAT teams, armored vehicles surrounding Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. According to students, it was about 2.30 in the afternoon, just 10 minutes before the end of the school day, when the fire alarm went off. And that, they say, is when the gunman began shooting.
1: At about 12.20 p.m. on February fourteenth, 2018, Chris McKenna was making his way through a stairwell at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. He was looking forward to the end of the day and wasn't expecting to see a young man dressed in clothes, much like many other Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School students would wear. He had on a burgundy junior ROTC shirt, black pants, and a baseball cap, and was standing at the bottom of the stairs. It wasn't the clothes that he was wearing that startled Chris, though. It was what the young man had in his hands that made him immediately stop in shock. The man was putting on a vest for carrying magazines of bullets, and in his hands, he held an assault-type rifle, while a rifle bag was laying on the floor. Chris froze with fear. The 19-year-old man told Chris to get out of here because something bad was about to happen. And he said, you better get out of here. Things are getting get messy. Chris didn't think twice about following the man's instructions and took off running. Chris came upon assistant football coach Aaron Feiss and told the coach about the shooter, who then went to find help. Active Shooter, the podcast, is a High Five Holly production and I'm your host, JT. If you've listened to our prior episodes, you know that the Active Shooter podcast team has taken the No Notoriety Pledge, and we will not be sharing the real name of the shooters that we cover. We will be giving the shooters a pseudonym and refer to them by that name throughout the episode. This will help in clearing up any confusion in the story while remaining true to our pledge and not naming the shooter by their actual name. In today's episode we will be referring to the shooter as Frank. Approximately 15 minutes prior to the unexpected run-in with Chris McKenna, Frank had been picked up by a female Uber driver who was driving a small gray car. The shooter didn't have a license. In fact, He had never held a driver's license, and depended on various driving services, as well as walking on foot to get to where he needed to go. When the driver picked him up, he instructed her to drop him off on Pine Island Road in Parkland, Florida. Frank had two different bags with him, a rifle bag and a backpack. He told the driver that he was on his way to music class, and the driver had just figured that the rifle case was a guitar case, because after all... The two did look similar. It was Valentine's Day, and students were eagerly waiting for the end of the school day. They were talking, listening to music, and playing with different Snapchat filters. (laughs) (laughs) Students were trading candy hearts with sayings on them and writing Valentine's Day cards. Love was in the air, although, Tragically, it would take just over six minutes to become known as one of the worst school shootings in American history. The 19-year-old Frank approached the gate surrounding Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School campus and entered the property through the unlocked and unsecured gate. He started walking towards Building 12, which was also known as the Freshman Building, or the 1200 Building. The structure consisted of three floors and 30 classrooms. Out of the 3,090 students in attendance at the high school on that fateful day, about 800 of them were in Building 12. After Frank gave the warning to Chris McKenna, inexplicably saving his life, he slowly started making his way through the first floor. The students were in their classrooms when all of a sudden, they started hearing gunshots.
0: It sounds like somebody in the bathroom. Okay. Shh. Well, this like fucking it doesn't right. Yeah.
1: Was, uh, <laughs> One student was in the bathroom when she had heard the shots and ran from the bathroom across the hall and into a classroom.
0: I was in the restroom while I heard ten and fifteen gunshots go out. And I go to the stall, I run like really quick, and I grab two people near me, telling them, we need to get to the classroom right away. And that's the moment I panicked, and the girl with me was hyperventilating because she had asthma. So when we get in the classroom, we were just sitting down, and I had contact with my sister. And then she told me she loved me, and then I heard the gunshots in the first one. She didn't answer me.
1: There was a fire drill that morning at the high school. And when the shots were fired, teachers and students thought they were having a mock active shooter drill teachers and students alike dove to the ground trying to hide under tables and desks some students ran to the corners of the classroom to hide one student grabbed a textbook and held it up to her head in an attempt to shield herself from bullets coming through the door okay. <laughs> Students were frozen in fear, praying that if they were to die, they would die painlessly and quickly. The smoke and smell of gunpowder was overwhelming. Though Frank never actually entered into any of the classrooms, he shot through the classroom windows, doors, and also shot at any students that he encountered in the hallways.
0: There's a glass panel on our door, and it's like a rectangular glass window. He opened fire at the door from out, from the inside the hallway, through the door, and just started spraying through the door.
1: Shortly after the gunshots started, the fire alarms went off. After an investigation, officers concluded that none of the fire alarms were pulled. They were actually activated by the sounds and flashes of the rifle being fired. Frank spent two minutes and 13 seconds hunting students on the first floor. In just over two minutes, he killed 11 students and wounded 13 more. He then made his way upstairs to the second floor. At this point, the student and teachers heard the gunshots happening on the floor below and were able to shelter in place, hiding from Frank. He stalked up and down the hallways looking for any students who might have been left. Frank did shoot into two different classrooms, however, thankfully, those classrooms were empty. Some students heard him saying something along the lines of, No one is here. After only 51 seconds, he gave up on finding anyone, leaving the second floor and making his way to the third floor. There was mass chaos on the third floor, as the students and staff heard the fire alarms, and proceeded to follow the steps that they were instructed to in case of a fire which included leaving their classrooms and exiting the building. Some students didn't hear any gunshots at all, and some heard quiet and muffled noises, but never thought the sounds were gunshots. The bathrooms located on the first and third floors were locked because some students had snuck into the bathrooms earlier to smoke. The only open restroom in Building 12 was the second-floor bathroom. One student, who was on the third floor, got a hall pass from her teacher, and was going to walk down to the second floor to use the bathroom. While she was in the stairwell heading downstairs, she heard loud popping noises, so she decided to turn around and go back up to the third floor and take cover in her classroom. She probably missed death by just a few seconds. It wasn't until the students and teachers realized that the hallways were filled with smoke, and they smelled the pungency of gunpowder, that they realized this wasn't a drill. This was very, very real. I did
0: see blood, and I saw two students, unfortunately, curled up in balls, going down the stairs. I saw more blood, backpacks thrown everywhere. It was like a movie scene, and there was gunpowder all on the floor. You don't. It, it was just so real, but it felt so fake at the same time, and I couldn't comprehend it until. I just started screaming.
1: The students that were evacuated from the third floor also realized this wasn't a fire drill and that their school was actually under attack. In a frenzy, all students and teachers flooded back upstairs from the stairwell and started piling into the classrooms. One teacher had more than 70 students crammed into their classroom. As the students were running into the rooms to take cover, Frank walked down the hall, firing a hail of bullets into the hallway. One teacher, Scott Beagle, was in his classroom, which was closest to Frank when he entered the third floor. Mr. Beagle was holding the door open for students as they came rushing into his classroom, and sadly, he died saving the lives of so many children. Many students said that if it weren't for Mr. Beagle, they would probably be dead.
0: My geography teacher unlocked the door, and I had ran in thinking he was behind me, but he was not. He unfortunately passed away in the doorway of our classroom. I, I heard the gunshots and I've heard the shooter walk down the hallway shooting more kids. When we were all um, piled up by his desk, that's, that was procedure for Code Reds to hide and to do anything possible to keep us safe. We, my friend said Mr. Beagle, which is his name, is not moving He was laying in the doorway, and he is not moving. She said, I don't know if this is real or fake. I believe that my teacher, the reason why he was laying in the doorway was because he protected us. And so the shooter must probably thought, like, there's no kids in there because he was was, ill. The classroom was empty. It looked empty. So I thought, I believe that the shooter didn't think there was any students in there, but there was probably uh, 15 to 20 kids in there with me. Uh, The SWAT team actually came and got us and said it was all okay. Once we were escorted out of the classroom, I did see Mr. Beagle's body on the corner of my eyes near the stairwell.
1: All of the classroom doors locked from the inside. And once the classroom door was shut, the only way to get back into the room was to unlock the door with a key. One teacher's classroom door had shut before he could get his keys. When the teacher realized he didn't have them, he yelled at the students to run because there was no way he or the students could take cover in the classroom.
0: As soon as the fire drill got pulled, the fire alarm got pulled, and kids were evacuating, I heard five pops. He was just very focused. He was very focused on what he was doing. and that's yeah. I was in the classroom, and all of I ear was shots. And I was just like, oh my gosh, what's happening? And we're just sitting on the floor, and we're just panicking.
1: Kyle Lehman, a student on the third floor, was struck in the leg. The bullet left a massive wound on his right leg, severing the ligament that allows his foot to move up and down. Running on pure adrenaline, Kyle was able to get down three flights of stairs and walk out the door to safety. The doctors later commented that they have no idea how Kyle was able to run to safety, as he did. Sometimes when it's a matter of life and death, your body reacts in unbelievable ways.
2: I was in the hallway when the fire alarm was going off. It was just really scary and I had a bad feeling. When I first got shot, I thought I wasn't gonna walk. I thought I was gonna die because if I can't walk or
1: run, I don't know what would happen to me.
4: Most of the kids when they came in that day were basically in shock, like what happened.
1: It was a lot of organized chaos,
0: I would say. Kyle had a significant injury to his foot, which really affected the mechanism of walking and foot function.
3: So we took Kyle to the operating room for Pretty extensive operation. He was in the OR for about eight to nine hours.
4: I can tell you by the end of the day on Valentine's Day, I was quite emotionally spent. And I'm sure many of my colleagues felt the same way, as well as the nurses and all the other uh, professionals who were dealing with this.
2: I lost four friends. It's very sad. They're great people, lovable people.
0: They didn't deserve to die.
3: Well, his prognosis is very good. He's a child, and, and they rehab very well. He's got a long road ahead of him. I mean, he's going to need a lot of occupational therapy, physical therapy to get him moving again.
1: He's got great determination. He's got great family. Uh, mom and dad are always
0: here for support. After college, I want to be a uh, fire cells paramedic for Coral rings. I know CPO on the Heimlich Maneuver. Yeah, I, l- I love helping people. I feel like that's it's my passion.
1: The only room that Frank entered was the teacher's lounge. He went inside and attempted to shoot at students who were fleeing the third floor, but he was unsuccessful. Thankfully, the windows in the teacher's lounge were hurricane-proof, and the bullets could not penetrate through the glass. After spending three minutes and five seconds on the third floor, the shooter dropped his gun, took off the magazine vest he was wearing, set it on the floor, and ran, blending in with fleeing students. He had just killed six additional people and injured four more. While running from the building, one student looked over to Frank, saying, I'm surprised you weren't the one who did this, obviously not knowing that this was, in fact, the student who claimed 17 lives and injured 17 more.
0: I was in the vocational school, the alternative school. He went ahead and showed me all his layout of guns and said that how he used to just shoot them around for fun.
4: He's just always been a really crazy kid. Like, and I, I, I heard him. I heard some people say that one day
1: he would have done this, and unfortunately, I think that was today.
3: Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for twenty-five dollars a line with autopay and five G access included on America's largest five G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide five G access for the whole family for just twenty-five dollars a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 40p, Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit. full plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. CTmobile.com Marjorie
1: Marjory Stoneman Douglas High School officially opened for students in 1990. The school campus consists of 14 buildings, including classrooms, storage buildings, offices, three student parking lots, a visitor parking lot, and two staff parking lots. It sits on 45 acres of land. The school was named after the well-known Florida author Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, who was also known as a Florida Everglades environmentalist. The school is the only public school located in Parkland, Florida, and is the second-largest high school in the Broward County public school system which consists of a total of 35 high schools. The beautiful school had roofs covered in Spanish tile, hospital beds for medical classes, an emergency shower and chemistry class for toxic spills, and even built-in whirlpools in the locker rooms. The impressive campus cost a total of $27 million to build. For the 2016-2017 school year, there were 3,206 students enrolled at the high school. 1,620 of the students were male, and 1,577 of the students were female. The school was also known for all of the student clubs they offered, such as the Astronomy Club, Book Club, Chess Club, Culinary Club, Army Junior Reserves Officers' Training Corps, or ROTC, Robotics Club, a cappella club, and many, many more. The school also had a very impressive marching band, winning numerous top honors at various competitions. There were three staff and 14 students killed on February fourteenth, two 2018. Alyssa Alhadef was 14 years old and was known for her impressive soccer abilities. She was looking forward to continuing her soccer career after high school and into her collegiate years.
4: Alyssa is being remembered everywhere, her name is everywhere, her picture is everywhere, and the kids, they're living for Alyssa, they're laughing for Alyssa, and they're playing for eight. Alyssa was a talented soccer player, she had zest zest for life, she was beautiful, she loved the beach. Alyssa loved being with her friends, and I just want her friends to live for her, and since her voice was silenced on 214, that just live your life to the fullest.
1: Martin Anguiano, regularly attended church, was taking AP classes as well as dual enrollment college classes, and also loved soccer, especially the FC Barcelona team. Nicholas Duaret was captain of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas swim team and enjoyed playing water polo. Nicholas received a scholarship to swim at the University of Indianapolis and had dreams of swimming at the Tokyo 2020 Summer Olympics, a dream that sadly would never come true. You know,
3: you look for kids you can develop, a diamond in the rough, so to speak, and somebody who is energetic and positive. And if you, you know, if you had the chance to meet Nick, you would be,
2: you know, he's instantly, he's nonstop, he's vibrant, he's dynamic, he's
1: everything that you look for, you know, as a coach and, um, you know, as an organization to have somebody be a part of. Jamie Gutenberg was a 14-year-old dancer whose beauty and energy radiated every room that she walked into. She would have turned 15 on July 13th, 2018. My daughter was 14, but she was tough. Um, and honestly, the toughest person who, who
4: I knew. Um, and, and unfortunately, the way she died was running down a hallway with a gun at her back, and she was running for her life. And I, every second I think about the fear in her as she was doing it. And I also know how hard she was fighting to live. Um, honestly, because of what she went through, I, 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 it's perspective, but I don't feel fear about anything anymore. Because nothing could ever be like what she
1: experienced. Luke Hoyer enjoyed going on family trips to the Jersey Shore and South Carolina. He played for many years in the Parkland Basketball League, and also played on many different travel basketball teams.
0: Luke is my youngest of three. He's 15. Luke was a very, very sweet, kind boy. Uh, Very shy at times, but he was just kind of starting to come out of his shell. He liked to joke a lot with his friends. Luke loved being with his family.
1: Kara Lafren was described as a beautiful soul who was diligent, determined, and fiercely loyal. Gina Montalto was a 14-year-old who enjoyed cooking and doing volunteer work. She was also described as a daredevil who enjoyed going on roller coasters at the Disney amusement parks.
3: Her life being remembered as one defined by service. She was a Girl Scout, an active member of her church, and a member of the high school Color Guard.
1: Joaquin Oliver was known as the life of the party. He enjoyed writing and was always making jokes and making people laugh.
0: All throughout his life, he played sports, really enjoyed it, always had jerseys on in school, never caught him without a smile on his face playing sports. He was all-around great kid, just brought the environment to a happy place, like,
1: it's just tragedy. Elena Petty enjoyed spending time with her family, friends, and her dogs. In her second month of the junior ROTC program, she received Cadet of the Month, an achievement that is rare at such a young age. Meadow Pollock enjoyed everything pink, but she wasn't a typical girly girl, she very much enjoyed going outdoors and getting dirty.
0: I actually wasn't getting Meadow to answer my calls. I was freaking out. She wasn't answering, but I knew Meadow. She's one of the strongest people I know, that nothing would ever happen to her. Like, no way ever would it be her. I tracked her phone, and it was
2: at Douglas. I just expected the worst. I called every single person I knew. The only person I didn't hear from was Meadow. She always will be the strongest person I know, so I knew there was no way she wouldn't go without a fight.
1: Helena Ramsey was very shy until you got to know her and her hilarious sense of humor. She was very passionate about environmental issues. Alex Schachter loved playing sports, especially basketball and football. He was very close to his two sisters and big brother. He had a love for music and played the trombone. Alex was a great little boy, just filled with life and just wanted to be around people, be around his family and just play with his friends.
2: He loved to play his musical instrument. He loved to play basketball. We always used to play basketball in the driveway.
1: He was growing into just a wonderful little boy. Uh, He loved his big brother, Ryan. Uh, He idolized him.
2: He was just a normal, loving kid. And he was always happy. He always had a smile on his face. He was never mad at people. He didn't like to hurt anyone.
1: Carmen Schentrup was 16 years old and just a week shy of her 17th birthday when she was senselessly killed. She enjoyed hanging out with friends and family, reading, and just being silly. Her dream was to become a medical researcher and cure ALS. Peter Wang had big dreams of going to West Point and becoming a pilot. He could always be counted on to make someone laugh by cracking a joke or two. He was very involved in JROTC. He wanted to actually do that full-time, basically, like after he graduated from high school. Like He was very involved in that. He liked playing basketball, although he, like, he
2: always tried to beat me, but he couldn't beat me and he always used to talk, like, talk to me about, oh, I'm gonna beat, I'm gonna beat
1: you. Scott Beagle was 35 years old and living the dream of being a teacher and a coach. He saved many lives on the day of the shooting and will always be remembered as a hero. Aaron Feist was an assistant football coach for Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. He was also a great husband and a loving father. He will be remembered as a hero.
4: When Aaron Feist died, when he was killed, Tragically, inhumanely, he did it protecting others, you could guarantee that, because that's who Aaron Feist was.
1: Christopher Hickson, the school's athletic director, enjoyed sharing his passion for sports with all the athletes at the school. He was formerly a sailor in the US Navy, where he worked as a machinist mate, and he was a military police officer for 27 years.
0: He was a friend and a neighbor and a mentor. <laughs> and we're going to miss him.
1: Frank began to show deviant behavior as early as three years old. Let that sink in for a moment. At just three years old, the toddler was already showing signs of aggression and disturbing behavior. Born on September 24th, 1998, he was almost immediately adopted by the parents who raised him. He never met his birth mother, who was a career criminal all her life. In January of 2019, his birth mother had 28 arrests on her criminal record. The offenses on her record included assaultive and drug-related crimes. While she was pregnant with Frank, his birth mother was arrested for buying cocaine. His adoptive parents rescued him from a life where he likely would have spent most of the time homeless and around criminals. Instead, Frank was brought up in a beautiful 4,500-square-foot home, complete with five bedrooms and a huge yard to play in. In February of 2000, his younger biological brother was adopted by the same parents that had adopted Frank. In 2004, their adopted father passed away from a heart attack at a mere 67 years old. Frank was only five years old when he lost the only father he'd ever known. When Frank was 11 years old, his adopted mother decided to enroll him in mental health services. Between the ages of 3 and 19 years old, there were 69 documented incidents where Frank had threatened someone, engaged in violence, talked about weapons, or engaged in concerning behavior. The number only includes documented instances, instances where someone spoke up and made authorities aware of the behavior Frank was engaging in. The complaints of his behavior included fighting with his brother, running away, acting out towards his mother, Shooting chickens with a pellet gun, even killing one chicken, cursing, being disrespectful, and so much more. Frank's adoptive mother was continuously calling the police to come over to the house and talk with the disruptive boys, trying to scare them into behaving. It very rarely worked. Once she called the police and filed a complaint because of an Instagram post from Frank. It was a photo of a gun with the caption of, When I turn 18, I'm getting this gun and shooting up the school. She commented that Frank was a columbine in the making when she was the complaint against him. She commented that Frank was a columbine in the making when she made the complaint against him. Although Frank was making scary threats and acting out towards his mother, he was never charged criminally until he committed the ultimate crime of multiple counts of murder and attempted murder.
2: He used to sell knives out of his lunchbox, which I thought was, like, insane because you can't have knives. This is a school. He's like, hey, guys, want some knives? He would talk about how he sympathized with Syrian terrorists and that people who oppose them should be killed. He posted pictures of, of, like, 15 or more firearms just on his bed. Like, this was normal. Like, you could even see a hamper in the background. That's how out of, like. How ordinary this was to him. He talked about killing our parents, our friends, boyfriends, and girlfriends. I was thinking about why he could have done this. Because he was an avid hunter. I thought about it from, like, a hunter's perspective. The freshman building is very difficult to get out of. And when you think about it from the way that a hunter might have, which was the way they thought about a lot of things, that was an easy target. I knew it. We all did. Everybody who knew him, we knew it. He was the only person that could, even before they announced that he was the shooter... We all knew it was. He was the only person that we could think of that would do something like this because it was obvious that he had the power to do this. With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming, Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details.
1: Frank was constantly transferring to and from different schools. Between 1999 and 2017, he went to 12 different schools. During three of those years, he transferred between six schools. For a short time in 2014, he attended a school for children with emotional or learning disabilities, until eventually transferring back to Marjorie Douglas Stoneman High School. His obsession with weapons and violence continued to follow him throughout his adolescent years. Frank had a history of killing small animals, and when his phone was confiscated after the shooting, investigators found numerous images of Nazism and the KKK. He also expressed his hatred to his classmates, or anyone who would listen, towards specific races and social groups. His online and social media behaviors were disturbing, to say the least. In 2016, he was investigated for posting a video on Snapchat where he cut both of his wrists and talked about going out to buy a gun. His social media posts were filled with photos of guns, where Frank was holding them in frightening positions.
2: Big event. And when you see me on the news, you'll all know who I am.
0: <laughs> You're all going to
3: die. Oh, yeah. Can't wait.
1: On November 1st, 2017, at 68 years old, Frank's adopted mother passed away from pneumonia. After the death of his mother, Frank went and lived with some family friends, who welcomed him into their home. He even had his own room. After having an altercation with the family, however, he left and moved in with yet another family that offered to take him in. He lived with that family for four months before he committed the deadly massacre. It was reported that Frank suffered from depression, autism, and ADHD. Although his mental health records are sealed, so this is just speculation. One of Frank's classmates did say that he thought Frank had anger management issues. He was, he was very respectful. Um, he was a little quirky, a little um, socially awkward. He was quiet. He told us he was depressed. We knew he was depressed. During his confession, Frank admitted to battling depression and having suicidal thoughts. He reported that he used Xanax, recreationally at times, as well as marijuana. He told the officers that he had two prior suicide attempts. A few years before the school massacre, Frank attempted to commit suicide by alcohol poisoning. He drank large amounts of vodka, tequila, and wine. He didn't have too many side effects from the alcohol, so he didn't go to the doctor. He just slept it off and when he woke up, he probably had a wicked hangover. Just two months prior to the shooting, and around the time that his mother passed away, Frank snuck out of the house, went to a pharmacy, and bought a bottle of ibuprofen. When he returned home, he ingested almost the entire bottle. The suicide attempt was unsuccessful. He stated that his heart started hurting, and he vomited multiple times, but he never went to the doctor to be treated for the overdose. Frank was assessed by state investigators, and the assessor reported that he was at low risk of harming himself or others. According to Frank, in 2017, he was suspended from Marjorie Douglas Stoneman High School due to fighting over a girl. He was embarrassed by his behavior, and decided not to return to school, and dropped out of school altogether, never graduating.
0: He started going after one of my friends, and threatening her, and... I Cut off from there, he got suspended a lot of times, and he sold knives in his
1: lunch boxes and he was expelled. but no one expected him to come back next, next year. Marjorie Douglas Stoneman High School didn't necessarily turn a blind eye to the violence that Frank displayed and threatened The school had barred him from carrying a backpack and the security guard was instructed to search Frank's person every single day to make sure he didn't have any weapons on him. A weapon was never found on Frank while he was attending the school. There were reports of him throwing
4: chairs in the classroom, even when he was in class with my daughter. Um, the teachers,
1: you know, had complaints, sent emails throughout the school. So he definitely seemed um, like he had some problems. On the day of the shooting, at 2.21 p.m., Frank entered Building 12 and within 15 seconds, opened fire. At 2.23 p.m., the school resource officer, Deputy Scott Peterson, called over his police radio regarding possible shots being fired. Or he said, it could just be firecrackers. Deputy Peterson never entered Building 12. Possible shots
3: fired. 1200 building.
1: At 2.28 p.m., Frank exited the school and at 2.32 p.m., four Coral Springs police officers and two Broward County Sheriff's deputies finally entered the classrooms of Building 12. Because of a lag in the school surveillance system, the police thought that Frank was still inside the school, when in reality, he had already fled with the students who were running out in a panic. At 2.40 p.m., the police officers started a mass evacuation of the students. Students were told to exit the building one by one with their arms outstretched and placed on the shoulders of the person in front of them. Police and first responders concentrated on saving any injured students and removing them from the school, taking them to the waiting ambulances. The officers were clearing each room to make sure there was no longer a threat and asked the students who were injured. All
4: right, guys. Three now? Three injured. Is anybody injured?
3: Yes, 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 yes come up Can you walk
1: Blood was smeared all over the floor. Students were crying and yelling out in fear, and some in pain. As the students were leaving the school, the officers instructed them and the staff to look straight ahead and not look down. They didn't want people looking down due to the amount of blood and bodies lying on the floor. For most students, it was impossible not to look, much like a train wreck. They could gaze nowhere else. Upon exiting her classroom, one teacher saw a trail of blood that looked like someone had been drug across the floor. Some students and teachers were crying, while others were just walking around the school grounds in a zombie-like state, not sure where to go, who to talk to, or who to call. Frank headed west on foot towards a Walmart on Coral Ridge Drive. He was seen on surveillance footage walking across the parking lot. At 2.51 p.m., he walked into the Walmart, and then into the Subway restaurant located inside the store. He ordered a soda, and then walked out of the restaurant and the Walmart. He then started walking south towards a McDonald's restaurant, which was also located on Coral Ridge Drive. He entered the McDonald's and sat at a table with an acquaintance of his. Little did Frank, or the young man at the table know, that he just wounded his acquaintance's sister, who was shot but survived her injuries. At 3.02 p.m., Frank left the McDonald's and continued walking south. Authorities were able to track his movements after the shooting via surveillance videos located on numerous nearby businesses. Police dispatch gave a description of the shooter over the police radios so officers knew what they were looking for, a young man in a burgundy shirt and black pants. At 3.37, Officer Leonard of the Coconut Creek Police Department detained Frank, without incident, about two miles from the Marjorie Douglas Stoneman High School on a quiet suburban road. After being at large for 82 minutes, Frank was handcuffed behind his back and put into Officer Leonard's police car.
4: I'm Officer Michael Leonard with the Coconut Creek Police Department. I was the first officer to make contact with the suspect. Spelling of my name is M-I-C-H-A-E-L, last name L-E-O-N-A-R-D. City of Coconut Creek. It's a neighboring city right next to Coral Springs, Parkland. Uh, Just to give you a little insight as to what happened in my day is that I was at the police department headquarters in Coconut Creek when the call came out. I decided to come over and help in any way that I could. When I arrived to the area, there was a heavy presence of officers, emergency personnel, and uh, I decided to expand my search for this individual that was still on the loose. We'd been given information via the radio as to what he had been wearing. Uh, This information was provided through the radio dispatch. I decided to travel in some of the area, uh, residential areas located near the school. And as I traveled down one of the back roads, it's a heavily residential area, I happened to come across, it was just, just myself. There was not a lot of people out, A couple of people walking their dogs in the area. Uh, as I continued down this roadway, uh, I discovered an individual walking on the sidewalk that was wearing the clothing description that had been given over the radio. Uh, he looked like a typical high school student. Uh, and for a quick moment, I thought, could this be the person? Is this who I need to stop? Uh, training kicked in. I pulled my vehicle over immediately, engaged the sub- suspect. He complied with my commands and uh, was taken into custody without any...
1: On February 28th, 2019, two weeks after the shooting, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas students returned to school. The first day back, the students and staff were told to leave their backpacks, books, and notebooks at home because the first day was all about healing from the tragedy. There were over 40 therapy dogs and over 150 counselors at the school. Many, many police officers lined the sidewalks outside the school, welcoming the students and staff back. Students were determined to overcome the fear and emotion that waited for them at the high school. For students who didn't feel comfortable going back to school, or who were just too terrified to return, the school allowed some of them to finish the school year online.
2: It's very intense, like no one really seems to know what to do or where to go. We're just, honestly, everyone's just wandering the hallways kind of looking lost.
0: It's been very difficult and extremely uh, sad for all of those uh, victims and their families who don't get to come today and uh, pick up their children. We're still around. Like, we're still kicking it. We're still trying to send a message. We're like, don't forget about us because we can't forget those who we lost.
1: Because Building 12 is still considered evidence or a crime scene, the building will remain intact until after Frank's trial. After the trial is complete, the building will be demolished. For now, the fence surrounding the building will remain upright and continues to display different banners and memorials for all those that lost their lives on that terrible day. Many failures came out of the Marjorie Douglas Stoneman High School shooting, failures that the school was unaware of at the time of the mass attack. The school, as well as other schools, have studied these mistakes and attempted to learn from them. The first and most obvious failure was how Frank was even able to get into the classroom building. He walked through an open gate surrounding the campus and walked right into Building 12 without anyone even seeing him until he ran into Chris McKenna in the stairwell of the building.
3: He got into the 1200 building because that door was unlocked and unstaffed and that we say that that is a security
1: failure. Schools all over the country have learned from this tragedy and are taking measures to make their campuses even more secure with security guards, locked doors, and keycard and video systems. Another lesson that the school has learned was the way the locks were positioned on the classroom doors. In order for the teachers to lock their doors, they would have to go out into the hallway and lock them from the outside. There was no way to lock the door from inside the classroom. On top of that, when the doors closed, they automatically locked. If a teacher leaves the classroom and lets the door close, the only way they can get back into their room is if they have their keys with them to unlock the door. If the teacher doesn't have their key, they are locked out of the classroom. Many schools are now changing the locks on the classroom doors and taking it one step further by installing boots or door blocks in front of the door. The boot makes it nearly impossible for a shooter or intruder to knock down the door. The fire alarm that was set off from Frank's gun also caused mass confusion. On the second floor, students and staff heard the gunshots and knew to shelter in place and hide, ignoring the fire alarms. No one on the third floor heard the gunshots, so when they heard the sound of the alarm, the students and staff followed their normal fire evacuation routine, essentially making them sitting ducks in the hallway. To try and stop this from happening? Schools have created better protocols to make sure that everyone is on the same page and follows the correct lockdown procedure. The only PA systems, or public address system, were located inside the classrooms. There weren't any PA systems in the hallways or exterior areas of the school, so any alerts or announcements that needed to be made could only be heard in the classrooms, not the hallways, bathrooms, or anywhere outside. One of the main failures in the shooting was that the school didn't have an established active assailant response policy or a code red policy. Further, the school staff only had one active shooter training, while the students didn't have any. This was something that needed to be addressed immediately. The school went to work establishing a written active shooter protocol, as well as conducting many training sessions for both the staff and students. This also made a lot of other schools wake up and make sure that they, too, had a protocol in place for their school. The teachers hadn't heard a Code Red being issued, nor did they have any sort of warning that there was an active shooter in the building. They responded to either the sound of gunfire or the fire alarms that were going off. There was also an issue with the response time for police agencies. It appears that many of the officers took their time putting on their SWAT gear. Also, while several deputies didn't respond to the sound of gunfire, Other deputies ran straight into the building to seek out the shooter, provide medical care, and start evacuating people. After further research, it appears that the Broward County Sheriff Department's active shooter policy states that the officer, quote, may go into the building to seek out the shooter. The department has since undergone several different active shooter trainings, as well as rewording their protocols. City officials, school board members, county commissioners, and other politicians showed up at the command center during the school shooting, which interfered with the police agency's operations, including how they were handling the scene. This didn't help matters, and a future scene will be more secure if, heaven forbid, this tragic event were to happen again in the city of Parkland. The failures that Parkland suffered before, during, and after the shooting can only help other schools learn from their mistakes and better their training and protocols. Many of the Parkland survivors decided to take a stance on gun control and have done what they can to make sure their voices are heard through peaceful rallies, talk shows, and more. On March ninth, 2018, Rick Scott, the governor of Florida at the time, signed Florida Senate Bill 7026, also known as the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Act. The bill passed a few different changes into law, tightening up gun control laws and loopholes. For instance, the age to purchase a firearm was raised from 18 to 21 years old, and a three-day waiting period for gun purchases was imposed. When someone wants to buy a firearm, they now have a three-day waiting period between the time of purchase and the time they are allowed to take it home. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School has recently started using an app called Fortify Florida, or Fortify FL. This is an app that allows individuals to report any suspicious or concerning behavior immediately. It will then immediately relay the information to law enforcement agencies and school officials. Three days after the shooting on February 17, 2018, Frank was housed in the infirmary area of the jail, which is where ill inmates go for medical attention. He was housed in a single-person cell for several days. During his stay in the infirmary, corrections officers made daily observations about him in a log. They would make note that his reactions were calm and slow when he was being asked questions by the jail doctor and nurse. Another corrections officer would write that Frank was well groomed, quiet, and would frequently be in bed but didn't appear to ever sleep. He often spent the night tossing and turning. On February 23, 2018, Frank was moved to another unit of the jail. There were several times he asked to read the Bible, but most of the remarks from the correction staff indicated that Frank never really sleeps. He lays in bed, stares at the wall, appearing to be in deep thought, and at times he would close his eyes, but his observers could tell that he wasn't asleep, just resting. In October of 2018, Frank began writing to a female in the United Kingdom. The letters first came to the attention of the media and public in April of 2019. Frank was writing letters, and at times love letters, to the young lady. He also was writing lessons to the girl's brother. The Europeans were just two of many online admirers of Frank's. It doesn't appear that any of the 47 pages that Frank sent to the girl between October and November made it overseas because they were intercepted by jail staff and handed over to the prosecutor's office. The writings were very juvenile, and included various stick figures and drawings on the paper, which looked like they were done by a toddler, and were littered with spelling mistakes. The letters were filled with information that Frank liked sharing, such as political affiliations, favorite holidays, and what his future plans were. He said that he wanted to get married and have kids someday, even going as far as stating what he would name his children. All name suggestions he shared were gun references. Frank also bragged about his shooting abilities in his letters. He would explain how he was on the junior ROTC shooting team and had won a medal. He stated that his favorite holiday was the 4th of July because of the fireworks and the explosions. The only time that Frank ever mentioned the crimes he was incarcerated for was to tell his admirer that he couldn't talk about it. It would be a very bad idea he did reference that he kind of wanted the death penalty, and to let someone, quote, inject him with long-lasting sleep. Frank even went as far as telling the girl how he wanted a girlfriend, and he urged her to come to the United States so she could watch his trial and support him. On November 14th, 2018, Frank saw new charges applied, which stemmed from when he allegedly attacked a corrections officer. He was charged with two counts of aggravated assault on an officer, and one count of use of an electric or chemical weapon against a law enforcement officer. The guard asked Frank to stop dragging his sandals on the floor of the day room. A day room at the jail is just as it sounds. It's a room where inmates gather and spend the day. There are usually tables and chairs, and sometimes, depending on the jail, a television set. After the corrections officer asked Frank to follow the simple instruction, Frank gave the guard the middle finger then all of a sudden rushed the guard and attacked his face. Frank was able to get on top of the guard and punch him many times, and then he was able to grab the guard's stun gun. It does appear that the stun gun was deployed, however, it didn't hurt the guard or Frank. After Frank was pulled off the guard, he was sent to an isolation cell, where he was away from the rest of the jail inmates. Frank was arraigned on the new charges the day after the incident, and the judge set his bail at $200,000. Since he was already sitting in jail on charges that he was denied bond for, the $200,000 bond amount for the new charges was a moot point. Before he was sent to the isolation cell, Frank was given the luxury of spending time in the day room. He was also allowed to spend several hours outside in an area by himself, away from the other inmates. But after he was charged with three new crimes, he spends 23 hours a day in his cell. On March 7, 2018, Frank was indicted on 17 counts of first-degree murder, and 17 counts of attempted first-degree murder. Shortly thereafter, the state filed a notice of intent to seek the death penalty with the court. This is a document that gets sent to the court and the defense attorney, letting them know that the prosecutor's office would be seeking the death penalty for the defendant. Frank is currently being housed at the Broward County Jail, and the judge has denied him bail. Shortly after the shooting, visitor logs showed that Frank's younger brother visited him in jail on two different occasions. A family friend also took the time to visit him in jail. Frank's defense counsel has offered the state a plea deal, saying that they will plead guilty to the charges and be sentenced to 34 life sentences if they take the death penalty off the table, therefore leaving life imprisonment the worst punishment. The state did not accept this offer. There are three phases or steps in a death penalty case. The first is the discovery step, where all the discovery is conducted. This means both sides of the case will review all witness statements, police reports, and evidence. This is also when the attorneys file different motions and conduct different procedural court hearings. The phase is referred to as the guilt phase. This is when the actual trial takes place. Sometimes, the trial can take days, weeks, or months. The state has to prove to a jury or a judge, if the shooter elects to have a bench trial, beyond a reasonable doubt that a crime has occurred and the defendant had committed the crime. The third phase only happens if the judge or jury has found the defendant guilty of the crime, and this is referred to as the penalty phase. Because the case is a death penalty case, the jury, or again the judge if the trial is a bench trial, has to decide if the defendant is to be sentenced to death or if they should be given life in prison, without the possibility of parole. The jury will have to come up with a unanimous decision, so if even one juror votes not to sentence the defendant to death, then he must be sentenced to life without parole. One of the biggest challenges this case will have is finding an impartial jury. With the amount of publicity this case has received, it will be nearly impossible to find a jury that hasn't already developed an opinion about the shooter. If the jury member opposes the death penalty, they will automatically be stricken and not given a chance to serve on the jury. The jury process could take weeks, if not months. On July eighteenth, two 2019, the judge ruled that Frank was allowed to waive his appearance at the hearings which took place before the trial. Frank's defense team argued that most of these hearings were only procedural, and his presence wouldn't be needed. The judge asked Frank if he understood that there were certain details that he could miss by not attending these hearings. And Frank responded that he understood fully. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Active Shooter, the podcast. Remember, if you see something, say something. There's no telling how many lives you may be saving. A huge thank you to Darren Curtis, who composed some of the music used in this episode. Check him out at DarrenCurtisMusic.com. D A R R E N C U R T I S. Music.com. Active
2: shooter reports of an active shooter, active shooter,
3: active shooter of mass casualty incidents.
1: Make sure to check us out on social media. We have a discussion group on Facebook. Just search for Active Shooter, the podcast discussion group. You can also find us on Instagram at ActiveThePodcast and Twitter at PodcastActive. For just $1 a month, you can get access to ad-free episodes, early release episodes when available, and a shout-out on the show. Just go to patreon.com forward slash ActiveThePodcast. Thank you, and be safe.
2: there rainbow warriors it's me cj host of beyond the rainbow true crimes of the lgbt i have sprinkled myself with protective glitter and jumped upon my trusty unicorn to bring stories of the lgbtqi whether you belong to this community or not i welcome you to take a listen to beyond the rainbow i have all sorts of crazy chilling and horrifying stories i tell It's available almost everywhere you listen to podcasts. Still not sure I'm worth a listen? Then check out my website at beyondtherainbowpodcast.com. And remember, it's not a crime to be gay. Unless you're a murderer.